You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Sulik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, there's a lot to talk about, inevitably, focusing on the virus. The UK could impose much tighter restrictions on daily life if Britons don't follow government advice to stop non-essential travel and gatherings to curb the spread of the coronavirus. The Housing Secretary, Robert Jenrick, told Sky News it's not a game, it's very serious. It is getting serious, isn't it, Seb? It really is. How was your first weekend of isolation? Well, the frustrating thing was going around looking for food, which we just about managed, but seeing lots of people out in large groups sunning themselves in the spring sunshine, which, of course, is now unreasonable and unwise behaviour. It's really odd, isn't it? I was walking down Walthamstow High Street, just nipping out to get essentials, I might add, but I think it's been busier than on other normal Sundays, so pretty scary. And you're seeing this across the papers today. This clearly is a theme that's running around the country, and it's going to be a big problem for the government. But let's bring you what Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, has been telling the BBC. Britons must heed the government's calls to stop socialising. Unless people stay at home, unless people stop using public transport unless it's essential, Unless people stop interacting with each other, more people will die. These are extraordinary times. And that's why it's really important we all recognise the scale of the challenge and the scale of the arse. Please, please, please stop mixing, stay at home. And we are now into what they call shielding. Government telling a 1.5 million people with underlying health issues to self-isolate for at least three months. But is all this playing really a kind of game of catch-up, as a lot of people suggested, even suggestions over the weekend that the French President Macron had pushed Boris Johnson into taking these latest measures in a phone call? Joining us, I'm very pleased to say, is Chris Clarkson, MP for Hayward and Middleton, Conservative MP. Uh, Mr Clarkson, welcome. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, let, let's start off by saying, uh, do you think that there is perhaps some truth in the suggestion that the government is playing catch-up, that all this really should have been done a lot earlier? 
I think that's something that's very easy for people to say when you're looking at it from the outside. Certainly, I mean, it's it's the old swan effect. You see something that looks very sort of stately on the top of the, the water, but there are, you know, the legs kicking underneath. The, the truth of the matter is there's constant activity. Um, a good friend of mine is PPS to the Treasury, and every time I see her, she looks absolutely exhausted at the moment. There is constant activity. The reality is that this is an unprecedented situation for peacetime, and the government is following the scientific advice and acting accordingly. Uh, activity perhaps Chris but we've seen this come out in China first we have had a little bit of a heads up and we've seen how other countries have reacted and it seems like the UK has sort of strayed its own course do you think now is the time for a full lockdown I'd like to avoid that if at all possible. I mean, certainly the scientific advice doesn't necessarily support that. However, if people aren't heeding that advice and they're still going out and they're not social isolating, then it is something that has to be considered. Um, certainly you're looking at other countries like Canada where they're now finding people who aren't following the advice. That There needs to be some kind of um, clear message to people that this isn't an optional extra. They have to do what the government advises. But... What's what's happening though, Chris? Is 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 there a sense of perhaps um, stopping the economy, stopping the whole country, more or less, in midstream at a point where the economic costs are going to be huge, uh, in a way that perhaps is, you know, some people are saying the cure almost worse than the disease, if that means that the UK uh, enters a recession. Well, fundamentally, I think lives are the most important thing. We can talk about the economy, and I think the Chancellor's actually made some very, very tough and bold decisions. But the reality is that the paramount concern has to be trying to keep as many people alive as possible. And, um, I mean, what, what about those measures from the economy? A, a, a big criticism has been that self-employed people have been overlooked here, really. The idea being that if you're PAYE, you can get something like 80% of your salary. But if you're not, if you're self-employed, then you're looking at uh, statutory sick pay, which is significantly less. Do you think the Chancellor needs to come out with more measures to support these people who are a significant proportion of our population, after all? Well, I agree they are a significant proportion, and certainly I've been dealing with people who are in that situation uh, over the past few days. Uh, we are feeding it back to the Treasury, and I, I would hope to see more action to help people who are self-employed, certainly. What kind of action would you want to see? Well, I think there has to be some sort of equivalence between full-time employed and, and self-employed people in terms of what aid they can access. Right. And what about um, talking about a lockdown, talking about at least taking more measures? We mentioned Europe and Canada and how they're fining people. How do you think the population would react to that? Because the public opinion seems to be that people support some sort of tough measure on this. But at the same time, you are seeing people flouncing the rules. Is it perhaps not being quite clear what is and what isn't accept acceptable, particularly around leaving the house, exercising or, or sort of going out into the countryside? I, I feel like a lot of people aren't quite clear on whether that's allowed or not. Uh, in fairness to the government, I think they've made the, the advice as clear as they possibly can. I think it's down, it's down to people now to actually make sure that they're fully informed. Uh, fundamentally, you know, we can't spoof feed this to people. There is a huge amount of information available and people are, are simply not choosing to read it in some cases, or they simply don't think it applies to them because they don't feel ill. Uh, fundamentally, it's going to rely on us all doing our bit. What are you seeing in, in your own constituency? I mean, are you, are you getting a sense that everyone is on board with this, both willing to do it, but also making sure they actually do keep a distance, as well as helping the vulnerable people? 
I have to say, actually, I've been very impressed by uh, some of the responses I've had from my constituents, um, certainly in terms of uh, supporting key workers. There, there have been people asking, you know, when are we going to go to lockdown because they're very concerned that some people aren't following the rules. Uh, for me, the most heartening thing, though, has been people actually concerned about supporting the people who are trying to get us through this. Fundamentally, I mean, the, the community spirit is not an issue in my patch. I mean, these are people who are extremely patriotic and extremely uh, keen to do their bit, whatever that is. And what about inside Parliament? Because so far we've seen it shut down only to essential visitors. But at the same time, 650 MPs milling about. You've got the coronavirus bill in Parliament this week. Crucial legislation, really beefy legislation. I'm expecting a lot of people are going to be involved with that. Is it still a safe place to be? Especially that a lot of you presumably have been in your constituencies over the weekend and are now coming back from all corners of the country to, to congregate in one space. Well, we're following all the same advice that everybody else is. I mean, we're staying two metres apart. You know, we're not taking any un, any unnecessary risks. But we do need to get this legislation through. It is essential to make sure that we protect the wider public. So there shouldn't be a shift to any sort of online or e-working for, for MPs? Well, we're doing quite a lot of stuff remotely anyway. I mean, you know, I, I was on my emails all last night, and the reality is that that is work I can do from pretty much anywhere, and that's the sort of the core part of what I do. Uh, certain things we do need to be here to do, though. And that is going to cause increasing problems because you have people there who are potentially vulnerable. I mean, I, I take on board what you're saying about distancing and all that. But uh, if you were, if you MPs were not seen to be doing essentially what you're telling the rest of the country to do, and that it does look that way at the moment, that's not the right message, is it? Well, I, I don't think that is what's happening. I mean, for example, you saw at Prime Minister's questions, only the people who actually had questions were in the chamber. I think there's unprecedented to see PMQs that empty. The reality is, you know, we're not taking any unnecessary risks. There are certain things that we do need to be on site for. We need to get those done as quickly as possible. And what about the uh, sort of older and more vulnerable part of our population? There's been some talk of, talk of getting emergency supplies to them, but surely that is a lot to set up in terms of infrastructure very quickly. Are you confident that the government can respond and service these people who are going to have difficulty leaving their houses, difficulty getting down to the shops in order to get the basic things that they need? Yes. Well, <laughs> go on. It, it, it's an interesting line to take, Chris. I mean, surely one of the issues that's come up is that, in fact, in the years of austerity, which has been essentially a Tory austerity, um, the uh, the insides of the administration have been taken out to a large extent. Certainly in local government, there simply isn't the administrative capability to do those kind of things anymore. Well, I spent eight years in local government, and I'm, I'm fairly confident that it can be done. This isn't the time to start playing politics. It's about making sure the national effort is, is consistent and helps the people who need it the most. Uh, and what about if we get the Prime Minister going into some form of self-isolation, if he gets taken out of action in any way? What do you suggest is the contingency plan there? We see a number of names vying to, to take over this week. Well, fundamentally, I mean, there, there is a a continuity of government plan. I'm absolutely certain somewhere in the Cabinet Office. Uh, at the end of the day, we have a parliamentary system of government. It's not presidential, so it doesn't rely on any one person. It relies on a collective effort between all of us. I, I think the Prime Minister is probably sensible enough to realise that if he reaches that stage that he can appoint somebody to fill in while he needs them to. But certainly that doesn't appear to be the case at the moment. So you're not going to see Michael Gove in there or Matt Hancock or Rishi Sunak? You don't expect them to take over anytime soon? Well above my pay grade, that. <laughs> How far would they have to come down the line to get to you, do you think? 
<laughs> if it gets to the stage where I'm the Prime Minister, I think I'm pretty much the last person left, so don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. That was uh, Chris Clarkson, the Conservative MP for Hayward and Middleton, joining us this Monday to chat through what has been quite the weekend. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's bring you some of the other stories that we're talking about today in the world of politics. You've seen the papers splashing on pictures of people out and about. Broadway Market, Columbia Road, Victoria Park and outside London as well. It's not just the capital. Snowdon in North Wales, the car park there, very full indeed. So it seems like people aren't quite taking into account the extent of the measures announced by the government. And so I'll bring you the first story. is a team of British scientists calling for tougher measures on tackling the coronavirus. The FT has this one they report that clinicians statisticians epidemiologists from the likes of university college london cambridge university and health data research uk all say that the current approach will lead to between thirty-five thousand and seventy thousand excess deaths that's deaths more than what is planned for under current modeling they call for tougher restrictions whether that is enforced lockdowns enforced social distancing rather than voluntary measures what we then the sort of thing that we have at the moment uh, and on that we're seeing the government step Stepping in on the uh, rail issue as well. They're trying to shore up the country's rail operators. That comes after Boris Johnson warned Britons that they face these tougher measures. Transport seemingly still seen by some as a viable option outside of extraordinary measures. The Department for Transport taking on the revenue and cost risk for the country's rail services for six months. At the moment, that, under the franchising model, lies with the, the operators. So they're now going to continue managing the day-to-day services and they're going to get a small predetermined fee for doing that. So that comes as sort of this underlying shift of a switch away from uh, from franchising that's been talked about for some while. So not quite uh, without any sort of pre-warning, but this really does seem like the opportunity to be doing it. Uh, also, a consideration of a lockdown by the government that would, of course, impact public transport even further. If we do go to those measures, it's going to be very little travel whatsoever. So it's going to be difficult to get around and that's going to hit these franchisees of the rail network. And then in the Daily Mail and the Sunday Times have stories about this dispute coming about among the most senior ministers of the cabinet. The question is, who would take over if Boris Johnson had to self-isolate, go into quarantine if he were to catch COVID-19? We put this question to Chris Clarkson, the first part of the programme, and this is the row uh, currently playing out. You've got the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, the Cabinet Office Minister, Michael Gove, all reported to be challenging the assumption that Dominic Raab, the Foreign Secretary and First Secretary of State, would automatically take charge. So watch that story as this overall uh, coronavirus narrative plays out. 
of jostling perhaps at the top. Uh, but let's get on to the economic impact. Concerns, of course, that the impact on the UK economy uh, could, could be huge. We're now looking at uh, how to combat a possible recession. Lots of uh, people in the city saying that this is more or less going to happen. It's now a case of just how bad it's going to be. The Resolution Foundation, the think tank that focuses on intergenerational wealth, calling on the government to commit a further £22 billion to support up to one million workers facing layoffs following the outbreak. They say that the new work subsidy could help restore business and consumer confidence. So let's get into this. I'm pleased to say we're joined by Dan Tomlinson. He's a research and policy analyst at the Resolution Solution Foundation. Uh, Dan, start by elaborating a little bit on exactly what it is you're calling for, because we've had a lot of measures announced after the, uh, over the last week or so by the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak. Hello. So we, we've been calling for three things um, over the past week or so, and the government has uh, gone a long way to uh, fulfilling some of the requests that we were making, some of the policies that we thought needed to happen to help sustain the economy and sustain individuals and families over uh, the months um, that this coronavirus crisis um, will be taking place. The, the main thing that we were calling for was um, statutory retention pay, was what we called it. Um, the government announced a version of this last week, which was their coronavirus jobs retention scheme. So that, um, that um, is where the government is actually just going to be paying the wages, um, up to 80% of the wages of um, individuals who are working uh, for firms, um, not just for firms and businesses, but for charities as well, who um, who want to keep their staff on the books, but don't have any work for them. Um, say, for example, because the shop or the restaurant is closed, and the, um, rather than have to pay their wages or maybe let them go, uh, we, we, we wanted the government to step in and for a temporary period while we're going through this period of crisis, pay the wages of these individuals to support family finances, but also to support the macro economy. Um, and you say that you've been calling for things that are gradually in some form being realised by the government. Are they still falling short, do you think, or are they hitting the mark in terms of their response to this? This um, statutory uh, retention pay scheme, this coronavirus jobs retention scheme that the government announced, is bold, it's big, it's radical, it's one of the uh, most generous schemes that's been announced um, across the world, as, as I said, up to 80% of people's wages being covered. But the key thing here is that this is just for um, employees. It isn't for those people who are self-employed, and the government still, we think, um, and I think there is a consensus uh, among lots of different organisations this week, that the government needs to go further in order to support the self-employed here. It's very difficult to do, to do a similar scheme for the self-employed because um, their earnings aren't reported to the government in the same way, on the, on the same regular monthly basis. But something needs to happen to help self-employed people whose work will dry up and probably dry up quicker than it would for many employees, um, mm. but who would end up on the basic rate of universal credit, which even though the government did a good thing and increased it, um, it's still very low and will be much lower than that 80% uh, pay that employees are um, going to be guaranteed. And do you think the government will make a move on this? I think Stephen Barclay, the Chief Secretary the, to the Treasury, touched on similar issues to what you just alluded to. He said it will be operationally very difficult to protect these self-employed incomes largely because they're, they're variable. You don't get the same money in your bank account every month. Yes, yeah, so this is a very, very difficult thing to do. The, um, the system... Um, that the government has in place, the relationship they have with employers um, is, is 
is much simpler. And even that is going to take the Treasury uh, days, maybe weeks, to set up a scheme that enables employees to be paid. With self-employed, they report their own incomes, they uh, do self-assessment on their taxes, and those, uh, those happen on an annual basis rather than on a monthly basis. So it's very difficult to find a way to make a similar scheme work, but it isn't, it isn't, um, it isn't impossible. There could be a way to do it. The government um, would, could say, for example, use last year's tax return as a basis and let the self-employed um, uh, say whether or not that was usual or could maybe look over an average of recent years. But even that, yes, that's difficult. There'll be people who've recently become self-employed who haven't been able to file um, sufficient numbers of tax returns. So it's, it's very difficult, but it, it's definitely something that the government is is, is considering and that there's a lot of pressure for. So we might see further moves uh, in, in the coming days. So clearly the coronavirus is something that's going to impact a lot of people economically. But I feel like it goes wider than just those people because there's a knock-on effect here, isn't it, into the wider economy. If the government weren't to, to, to take further actions on, on this, or, or indeed in the current state, I just wonder whether you could give me some idea of the extent of the impact on the economy from this situation. It's very difficult to estimate how big the uh, impact will be. Um, we've seen lots of um, different credible um, economic forecasting and consultancy organisations put out different estimates. Pretty much all of them now um, seem to be of the view that this will be worse than the financial crisis in terms of the short-term hit to GDP. Um, there's very high levels of uncertainty around at the moment. Um, the government's health response to the coronavirus is directly and really quickly impacting the economy. So this is very different from the financial crisis that was about an underlying weakness in our economy that then filtered through to people's jobs and pay and incomes over the long term. This is a short term, very severe impact on the economy that is, that is specifically um, caused by government decision making to protect our health. Um, the 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 size of um, the impact um, will be very large. It could be um, maybe up to 10% of GDP knocked off. And then the other way to think about how how big this might be is to think about the numbers of people who are affected. So we've taken a look um, at the jobs market in the UK, and we estimate that maybe around or up to 5 million employees have already been affected. So either because um, the social distancing measures have meant that their businesses have closed, um, or now they're having to um, stop work because they have to look after children who are now no longer able to be in work. So um, these are really quite significant numbers and they're probably only set to rise in the coming days and weeks even more so if the government announces more stringent lockdown measures. Well, well, that's exactly it, because a lot of this is about balancing the economic and the health impacts. And if you do bring in stricter measures, the feeling then is that the economic impact is even heavier. So where, where does that lie? Does the government now step up its measures and try and get people to, to, to uh, self-isolate in a stricter sense? Because it feels like there are really not a lot of people following the instructions that are being given by the government. But at the same time, the risk then is the uh, the cost of solving this crisis is a lot higher. I think that the government's moves to protect our health need to be matched with moves to protect um, our economy and protect families' uh, incomes when when those pro-health interventions are made, and they need to be matched with, uh, as it were, 
And so the government have done a lot of that already. This this 80% job retention scheme is really welcome and will mean that if more businesses um, have to close and to stop uh, and would have otherwise stopped employing individuals, they can furlough them and instead their wages can be paid. But as I say, the government needs to look at the self-employed in particular in 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 the coming days. And then there's a, there's a bigger question that's... Um, hasn't been discussed yet, but it will be discussed in the weeks and months ahead, and that is the long-term implications on on the things that the government does and the amount of money that it spends. The public finances in the UK were in relatively good shape coming into this crisis. We had the deficit was, was very low. It was around 1% of GDP. Um, government borrowing costs were very low because interest rates um, uh, have, have been at incredibly mm. low levels, but in in a few months' time, we, we're going to begin to see the impact of this on public borrowing, both because much more spending right. um, and much lower tax revenues as well, which will have a big impact on politics and economics for years to come. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it. If you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.